edition of ATL Prime Sports. Todd Quarter here with you in Atlanta. Larry Gardner in Rome. JJ on the other side of the ATL and our producer Wayne in Memphis, Tennessee. Our guest today is Will McFadden, who is works for the Falco Holic, covers the Atlanta Falcons. And I've got to ask you, Will, did you get that from the movie The Replacements from Shane Falco, the quarterback? Well, uh, I unfortunately did not come up with the name The Falcolic, but I have had the exact same thought myself. So it's really interesting that you, uh, you bring that great movie, underrated movie. I mean, I think just uh, the, the O-lineman dance, John Madden, when they do the, the little shuffle in the jail room cell. God, talk about a, a rewatchable every summer as a kid growing up. I love the rewatchables, but no, I, I think, you know. Probably just the uh, excessive drinking that uh, our favorite f football franchise probably incurs in a lot of people. Maybe the uh, the origin source of that name, but it's a great thought, and I I would love to know if if that played uh, any role in it. Well, we, everyone, you can catch all of our podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. You can catch all of us at ATL Prime Sports. Myself at quarter time, Larry at LG4 Real though, JJ, JJ, get you one, and our producer Wayne at RWY Jr. Guys, hope you had a great week. Let's get right to it. Uh, I'm Will, I'm coming out with it. The elephant is in the room. He's large. He's got big feet. On the hot seat is Desmond Ritter because, according to Falcons fans, if he has a great year, and there are a lot of fans on the show. <laughs> The Falcons can go far. Your thoughts? He's definitely the X factor. Um, you know, in my mind, it, hot seat's interesting, right? Because you could certainly make the argument that, yeah, if, if he doesn't show it this year, like kind of what, what else do we need to see? Unless, like last year, there is the progressive growth throughout the season. But, I, you know, I still think that hot seat is a, is a little bit too early, especially if he does show that growth. I think that a lot of the um, kind of qualities that the Falcons really admire in Desmond Ritter, at least the ones that they, you know, publicly uh, hype up, are kind of the intangibles, the the parts of the game that we're not easily able to see, and that you kind of only really uncover in a larger sample size. So it's it's kind of it sucks to say to be like all right we'll just give it time because that is the the cliche right and every that's such a boring answer that i hate to give but when it comes to a young quarterback like this and somebody who has been really well regarded even if you look back to his career in cincinnati as kind of more of a cerebral guy than i think we give him credit for uh, but the ability to command a huddle, to kind of go through those progressions, it's its weirdly the most tangible thing, accuracy, that has been his question mark throughout his career. So I kind of think that maybe the more we see him this upcoming season as a starter, that's going to become kind of the, the main talking point if he struggles with his accuracy early in the way that he did in Cincinnati, early in games, and they fall behind because he's just... A third and six, it's it's a little bit high, or it's a little bit outside, and he throws it out of bounds, like that type of deal. I could really see that becoming a narrative, but accuracy is also fixable. And so if he displays this master of the playbook, this ability to command the huddle, and he shows that progression 
with accuracy, with play strength, with just the feel of the offense. I could see a lot of people buying into Desmond Ritter by season's end, but if he doesn't, then yeah, I think it's very safe to to question. All right, then like how long is this question mark going to be uh, permissible, especially when you've got another great quarterback class it looks like on the horizon. Uh, I'll go and then and JJ, then Larry, then Wayne. Um, all right. Now we talked about Desmond Ritter. We'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they got to have Kyle Pitts. He missed seven games last year. They got to have him. I mean, he brings a lot of versatility to that offense. Yeah, and versatility is is huge. It's everything to this offense, right? And I think that, you know, you look at at Drake London. A lot of people are going to say, well, he's their their de facto number one receiver. Well. Two years ago, even with Calvin Ridley still on the roster, it was kind of like, all right, well, is Kyle Pitts just being drafted as their de facto number one wide receiver? Because it's all semantics. We could just call him, for all intents and purposes, an X. But when we talk about versatility with his game, specifically, I think people are overlooking the blocking element. And that is something where last year, I know his fantasy football numbers were not gaudy. Trust me, I drafted him in a couple of leagues as well. I was paying the price. And that that was the the main focal point for a lot of people is like, where where are these receiving numbers that we heard all about? That came his rookie year. We know he can do it. Last year, I do think there was a little bit of a disconnect between he and the starting quarterback, Marcus Mariota, for most of the season. But I also think that the Falcons did make a conscious pivot to a much more run-oriented offense, certainly than they had the year before when Matt Ryan was the quarterback. He was much, much more advanced in a pure play action and drop-back game as a passer than Marcus Mariota was. So Arthur Smith wisely played to that strength. They, to the benefit of the overall team, I think kind of reined in Kyle Pitts a little bit and, and used him in more of that blocking role because that's where they needed him. So the question here this year is, can he put all of that versatility together in one complete season and have something akin to 1,100 yards, five touchdowns, and be a solid run blocker to allow you to have a good a good game. You know, Obviously, I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air here, so I'm not going to set expectations for him. But I think if he does something similar to that, uh, I, all the questions about Kyle Pitts will disappear pretty quickly. Listening to Will McFadden, writer for the Falcoholic, right here on ATL Prime Sports. Will, I'm JJ. It's good to have you on the show, man. Let's keep it on the offensive side of the balls. Reading an insider article on the old Espen from Field Yates uh, today. He says, one need the Falcons might go after in summer camp, uh, fall camp going in, is another wide receiver. Do you agree? I, I kind of think uh, the battle between... Uh, uh, Hollins and, and Scotty Miller will be probably good enough depth. And then the addition of Penny Hart, who's got some NFL experience. You're, you, do you agree, yes or no, and, and why? Do the Falcons need another receiver? I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I think that Matt Collins is capable. The Falcons have done a really good job, and it's been Terry Fondo's MO, you know, even back to his time with the, the Saints, in getting guys who are incredibly efficient in – limited opportunity and then when they still see those opportunities increase they kind of maintain that efficiency it's something drake london and kyle pitts last year their efficiency numbers were awesome it's just now can they kind of 
expand their roles and, and grow that. Mac Collins is a very similar type of player where you saw that the, the volume was not necessarily there, but when he got his chances and then as his role expanded, as Las Vegas needed his role to expand, he could kind of step into the shoes of that at times, like a number one target for them. And most of the season, you know, as a, as a kind of prime number two, what really worries me about Atlanta's receiving core specifically is just the depth. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we're not talking about a position like tight end or, you know, like safety or something like that, where you can kind of get by with just like one or two really solid guys. I think when it comes to wide receiver, you need at least three dudes who you feel comfortable with on Sunday. And then ideally like a top five that you feel really comfortable with. Um, and I, I do wonder if, you know, this is Scotty Miller going to be able to really play a significant role for you on Sunday. I don't know. I, I have not seen him in this offense. I'm sure they'll figure out a creative way um, to use him, but I wonder just as a run blocker, like I have not seen him do that. So I don't want to necessarily uh, say that he can't, but I do have my question mark. So I, as we look at the roster now, if there are kind of one or two pieces to be added uh, specifically to the offense, I kind of think wide receiver is the only place outside of that. I feel perfectly comfortable going into training camp and into the season with kind of the offensive skill position players and linemen that they have. I would love one or two more kind of wide receiver death pieces, but I do think that that's out there. If the Falcons need to add somebody in August, September, it, it wide receiver is a great place to be fishing because that pond is pretty big and pretty stocked with fish. Will Larry Gardner here. Great to have you on the show with us this evening. I'm, I'm everybody's talked about offense and I have an offensive question saved for later because I have been the, the, the chairperson of the squad who has been believing Bijan, but I want to talk about the defensive turnaround that Terry Fontenot put on this team. If, if you had to go into week one of the NFL season this year, could you confidently say that, it, that the Atlanta Falcons have the best secondary in football? Ooh, wow. Okay. That's, I love where your head is at on that because I think going into week one, confidently, no. Um, however, coming out of week 17, is there a chance? Yes. Uh, and so I think that is very dependent on the development of Jeffrey Okuda, somebody who in 2023, I did not think I would really ever be saying that statement about because I loved him so, so much coming out of college. He was far and away my top rated, I think, defensive player in that trial, although I did love Isaiah Simmons um, as well, which in hindsight, just kind of not my best takes. So I don't know why I keep bringing that up. But um, I do think that, that Jeff Okuda, if you look at his skill set, it was so much of, like I said, with, with Desmond Ritter, the intangibles. And I have to imagine that's what kind of attracted the Falcons to him, even though his performance has not been stellar since he's uh, come into the NFL. It does very much fit that, that Terry Fondo MO of... All right, here's a guy with a lot of upside, with a lot of traits that, yeah, he's had injuries, but do injuries really affect those specific traits that made him such a great player? And when I watched his tape coming out of, of college, it was that ability to really read and react and kind of adjust so smoothly 
and almost run these routes for these receivers and then trust his instincts right at the catch point and make the play and kind of put it all together. I still think he's capable of doing that. It's just how much has his confidence been shaken by what his early career has, has wrought and how much is this new situation going to help him? But really, that's kind of the big question mark for me in the secondary. I have a lot of faith in Richie Grant. I have a lot of faith in Jesse Bates. AJ Terrell, of course, we saw what he did two years ago. I kind of think this year will be a nice referendum on how much was two years ago the ceiling of what he can be versus, okay, maybe that's more of what he is. And last year was a little bit of a step back. I think we'll figure out a, a good bit of the answer to that this season. But yes, to answer your question, Larry, in a, in a long way, I, I think that there's certainly a chance that as this season goes along, the secondary, if they can stay healthy and with depth pieces that they have that I really like in, you know, a D Alford in a Jalen Hawkins, you know, we'll see what the rotation at, at nickel looks like, but you've got some nice pieces there. This could be a definite strength for the team. And when all is said and done because of the addition of Jesse Bates and because of the upside of Je Jeff Okuda. Yeah we could be talking about this as one of the best secondaries in the league, if not the best at the end of the season. I'm just not ready to say that right now. Yeah. Hey, well, this is uh, Wayne in Memphis. Now I've been a Falcons fan for quite a long time since going back to about 1979, 1980. There you go. And uh, instead of uh, comparing Falcons with everybody else that's in the league right now, I, I just had your thoughts on uh, comparing the Falcons to the Falcons uh, under the current leadership of uh, Arthur Smith how do you compare this group of Falcons with Falcons from the, from the past? You know, some of the times when they went to the Super Bowl, other times when they had some lackluster seasons, how would you rate them against themselves? What a fascinating question. I love this. Oh my gosh. Cause I, I have kind of, I think unintentionally had a similar train of thought just in trying to think about this Falcons team, right? It, it, everybody does because it's what you have to base it off of is like, all right, well, I felt, I think maybe not as optimistic, certainly not as optimistic. Let me, let me reframe that. Certainly not as optimistic between the 2015 and 2016 seasons, but now with the knowledge of how that kind of 2016 season unfolded and having a little bit better perspective of kind of why they made the moves that they made and, and just the growth and progress that teams make in regimes, and I know that was year one to year two, which is usually a pretty big jump, but year two and year three is is another big jump as well. I've been thinking a lot about that that kind of lead up to the 2016 season and how some people were were maybe dipping their toe in the pool of like, could the Falcons be something? But a lot of people were still like, no, this isn't going to be anything, even though they had made the Alex Mack acquisition, the Mohamed Sanu acquisition, you know, like Taylor Gabriel. They'd made some nice additions to their roster that I think did set them up in unique ways for a big run. But when I think about kind of this team, I, I go back to the early two thousands. I go back to kind of 2004, you know, when they did have some nice blend of young players, but then quality veterans at some maybe overlooked positions. I think of somebody like Alan Rossum, you know, who makes, such an impact as a return specialist. And yes, I know that they've lost Avery Williams, which they'll have to figure out how to replace him on punt, but you've got a Cordero Patterson and like the, the return that he had against Chicago last year, which won them that game could a similar play make the difference in a playoff game this year. 
Yeah, I think the Falcons are built for not total domination, but picking their spots and absolutely executing at a high level where they can almost be like a death by a thousand cuts type of team where we're not just going to overwhelm you with talents or just nothing you've ever seen before. We're just going to be so precise and we're going to execute in these moments. And that's where they remind me a lot of, of those Michael Vick, but also Mike Smith teams, you know, where it was kind of like, we, we don't have those overwhelming, but we've just got solid players everywhere you look. If the Falcons depth holds up and if they're able to stay kind of healthy, I, I think that that's going to be a, a, a bit of the case is it's less the, all right, can Julio Jones and Matt Ryan win us this game because they're the two best players as opposed to like, we've got eight really solid guys on offense and they're going to overcome kind of the, the three guys that are question marks a little bit until they come into their own. And I think in that way, it's a little bit more like the early Mike Smith teams and those kind of Jim Moore junior teams from the like 2002 to 2004 range. All right. We're with, uh, Muhammad Sanu, baby. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, Will McFadden. There you go. Falcoholic. Uh, Will I tell you what, uh, you, we talked about wide receiver earlier in the conversation. Does Cordell per Patterson go back to wide receiver now that Robinson, they've got him uh, from Texas. Uh, do they take uh, Robinson? You know, they got thunder and lightning now in the tailback position. Do they move him in a slot or to do all the above? Yeah, I mean, that's the other part of the wide receiver puzzle, right, Todd? I mean, it's... I really genuinely believe that it, like if, if you put truth serum in Arthur Smith, uh, which I would not ever venture to do, uh, just, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody else. I don't think you're going to have a, a great time in, in getting that to happen. But I think that he would say, look, like there's not a wide receiver room. There's not a tight end room. There's not a running back room. It's all one room. It's the Falcon skill position room. And we're going to utilize all of these guys in every possible way i really think that that's kind of been the master plan of of atlanta it's like when you know you get the pawn to the end of the chessboard and then you can turn them into whatever position or whatever piece you want like that's kind of what the falcons have done it's like all right cool well we've got two running backs that we got to the end of the chessboard now we can turn them into bishops or rooks and just like move them all over the place and really create matchup nightmares so i think that part of the reason they wanted to get Bijan robinson was to free up Cordero Patterson, you know, and, and same with Tyler Algier. Like, I do think that they have a little bit of a master plan in place for how to use these guys. And I would not be surprised if we continue to see Tyler Algier be that almost like Nick Chubb type of, of workhorse running back where he is really your ground and pound focal point. And then they're going to utilize, you know, I mentioned Taylor Gabriel a, a second ago, but like, could you imagine Bijan Robinson in motion on these jet sweeps and you get a pure running back out to the edge and maybe you've got a, a split block with, with a tight end or a, a crack block from Drake London sealing it and then you've got a dude already in motion who is as agile as Bijan. Like the possibilities here are endless. It's a little bit, I think, semantics of how they get these guys the ball. They're just going to have to figure out ways to get all of these playmakers the ball, whether we call them wide receiver or running back or a tight end. It kind of doesn't matter. And that's why I do think that Desmond Ritter could early on surprise some people if the Falcons do, you know, let's say they start 3-0 and, and the offense is kind of cooking a little bit. 
I wonder how much of that will be because of Desmond Ritter and how much of that will be just because they figure out, all right, facilitate, be our Chris Paul, pass the ball off, get it to him in a great position, and then we're going to let these guys kind of do the rest. Or if this offense is really going to facilitate a quarterback in kind of a more traditional way, I'm really curious to see that. But in terms of these skill guys, I think it's a hodgepodge. I think positionless is the perfect term to use, even though it's become a little bit uh, overused, uh, in my opinion, so far this offseason. But it is the perfect way to describe these guys. You're listening to Will McFadden, writer for the Falcoholic, right here on ATL Prime Sports. You can find Will on Twitter at Will McFadden. I'm going to flip over to the defensive side of the ball this time around, Will, and it's a two-parter. I want to talk about Eddie Goldman, uh, type of player he is. Uh, retired last year, we found out it was a pretty significant injury. He comes back. That's like a whole other acquisition in itself. And number two, we all know how we've all heard the news, how bad the Falcons have been at sacking the uh, uh, opposing quarterback. How many sacks will it take for you to consider it a successful season on that note? And then again, your comments on Eddie Goldman and uh, what kind of impact he will have on that Falcons defensive line. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the sack numbers, so I'm going to put, I think I'm going to put it around like 35. I, I think that that would be a good oh step in the right direction, right? You know, generally, like you're bet, you'll see some teams up in the 50s and it's like, wow, you know, like that Steelers, some years, things like that. But 40s is like, that's a good solid pass rush. The Falcons, you know, have been in the 20s, low 20s for the last couple of, it's, I think that the getting to somewhere in the 30s, just being maybe mid-tier, 15, 13, 14, somewhere in there, would be a, a real step in the right direction. Now, how they get there is still a little bit of a, a question for me because I believe that they're going to be relying a lot on depth. And that is where your point about Eddie Goldman kind of comes into play because you look at a player like Grady Jerry, you look at a player like Taquan Graham, you look at David Onyemata even, and they're similar types of players. Eddie Goldman's a little bit different. And I think that that was something last year where when they were certainly under Dean Pease and a lot of talk, which, you know, I mentioned position players on offense being overblown. I do think that the three, four, four, three kind of front talk is a little bit overblown on, on the defense side of the ball, just because that stuff changes all the time from play to play. So fluid. Exactly. It really is. I mean, even in one single play, it can change. So exactly. it's kind of like they're not locked into that by any means, but Eddie Goldman is a type of player that gives you a little bit more of that versatility in your front usage. And he is a bigger body that you can kind of slide from maybe a three to a one if you're going to bump yeah. a Lorenzo Carter back or something like that. So him being there is just another piece of this puzzle. But Back to the sack total, I, I kind of think that they're going to try. It's a little bit of a poor man's version of what the Eagles, I think, did in uh, that, that 2017 season, the 2018 Super Bowl, yeah. when they just had kind of a two deep that they could really run at you. I don't think they've got a Brandon Graham. And, you know, I, Grady Jarrett is comparable to Fletcher Cox, but, like, it, it's a different flavor. But I kind of think that's going to be the – the goal, the vision is like, okay, on one play, we can have a Calais Campbell and a David Onyemata and a Grady Jarrett and a Bud Dupree. And in the next play, we can have Arnold Abicady and Grady Jarrett and Taquan Graham and, you know, uh, Lorenzo, who, whoever I'm missing on out of that 
D'Angelo Malone, you know, just to throw the name out there. It's like we we can just on one play have this group, on another play have this group, and they're going to be 100% fresh, and you're going to get that every single rep is just people who are recycling in and out who are going to be bringing it. Obviously, offenses can mitigate that to some degree by hurry-up offenses, things like that. They're personnel packages. But I think that's the Falcons' game plan is we're going to rely on our depth and our freshness and on young players like an Arnold Evicati yeah. and a D'Angelo Malone and a Taquan Graham taking that next step. Because frankly, guys, like there wasn't, there wasn't that one, a pass rusher out there. The fact that they over that they passed on Marcus Davenport. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about. I could think what his former defensive line coach thinks yeah. and uh, a former pro personnel player who works in that organization. Like, I don't think they had that in their bag so i think this is their solution and i, I don't really hate it to be honest so for the yeah I, I agree with you will 100 percent. i think you're going to see a three four sacks from calais a three four sacks from onionana bud dupree mm-hmm. throwing three or four there i think it's going to be uh like you said uh, earlier well said earlier that death by a thousand cuts on offense and defense i really like the analysis there uh, i'll throw it to uh, larry yeah, sorry about that. Uh, okay, Larry's back. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, Larry's back. We've had, we're having thunderstorms up here in the Northwest, and it knocked our power out. But luckily, I still have the wonderful technology of the cell phone. Will um, was able to catch most of what you were talking about with the defense, and and this is the probably most down year in a long, long time that I've seen with the whole NFC South quarterbacks. When we're used to seeing Matt Ryan and Cam Newton. And, and Drew Brees, and of course, uh, <clears throat> the whole the whole gauntlet of, of the NFC South tandem that we've already seen. If you had, and we talked, we started talking about Desmond Ritter. If he is just a game manager, what do you predict the Falcons' record to be this year? <laughs> Larry, thank you so so much for reminding me of the glory. That was Josh Freeman's one season under Raheem Morris in Tampa Bay earlier, <laughs> earlier in this stretch, because I kind of think that's in, in play here for, for Desmond Ritter. You know, I, I don't know what his whole career is going gonna, is gonna to turn out to be at this point. I mean, it's just so hard to base off of, of four games. But do I think that in a down year, can he put together that kind of run? And I'm, I'm really, I think it was 2009. It was that Larry Fitzgerald um, season when the Steelers and the Cardinals played in the Super Bowl. Uh, I know that the Bucks made that that weird run with with Alfred, uh, not Alfred Morris, who was the muscle hamster down there, um, and and just kind of put all that together with Josh Freeman in a really down year in the NFC South. I kind of think that that's certainly in play and that Desmond Ritter is absolutely capable of doing that this season for the Falcons. And because it is like, you know, we're, I'm probably looking at, at Derek Carr's the most immediate uh, problem for the Falcons quarterback wise, Bryce Young is as the future problem for the Falcons. If, if he develops the way uh, that, that everybody believes that he will, but Desmond Ritter, again, if, so much of this is about the situation that they're in offensively. Who's calling the shots? Who's pulling the strings? How they're going to build and develop stuff around them. I mean, it's, I'm never going to be one to like doubt Patrick Mahomes or do anything like that. But would he be this player if he wasn't with Andy Reid, one of the greatest offensive minds of all time? Like, maybe not. Probably not. You know, if he's even in a, if he's in Dallas, like, which is a kind of a fine, good NFL team, but like, 
I don't know if he is this. So I do think a lot of it depends on the situation he's in. And I think that Arthur Smith, as we have seen before, I mean, part of the reason that he got that head coaching shot is because of what he did with Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback that a lot of people were questioning during his time there in Miami, even though he had shown some flashes, he got the best out of him. He got, you know, really, really high level of play for a good run there. I totally think that Desmond Ritter is capable of doing that. I think that he needs to rein in some of the decision-making, some of the, you know, the downfield accuracy, the early accuracy, which can be tied to your footwork and your mechanics and things like that. But again, that's all really coachable. And if he is as good with the intangibles as people say that he is, then I wouldn't be shocked if this kind of turns out even, even certainly better than that Josh Freeman season and kind of turns into a similar, like, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, you know, those are all different flavors of that same story where it is a quarterback. Not a lot of people really bet on at the beginning of their career, but kind of early on earn the reputation that, Hey, coaches, teammates, they believe in this guy that he can get it done. He did out there on the field. And then, yeah, I mean, again, their careers have turned out in different ways. Certainly Russell Wilson is the high mark. Dak Prescott's probably there in the middle. Kirk Cousins, maybe the floor, not to disparage Kirk Cousins, who's been great, but like that's certainly all in play, I think, for Desmond Ritter. Uh, it's just hard to know exactly how it'll all shake out right now. If I if I had that magic ball, trust me, I'd be over in uh, in Vegas permanently and uh, letting that luck ride. But yeah, I, I think that he'll be certainly good enough this year. And and you just made me think of Larry that that Josh Freeman season in Tampa. So I may do a little more research into the similarities and differences between this squad and that squad. Uh, and and see if there's anything to that. A lot of unpredictability there, Will. I mean, it, it, like you said, most teams, when they come in, and this is still a first-year quarterback in, in Ritter, he's only played four games, and really three and a half, Tampa took their starters out in the second half of that game. So, you know, historically speaking, there hasn't been too many good quarterbacks. Year one, still in progression, where the team has done very well. So they're going to have to be run the football. They're going to have to uh, play defense and, and play some control of the clock and et cetera. You know, I've heard a lot of talk that, you know, this team can win the division. We'll see. It's probably between them and New Orleans. Is Arthur Smith really, I mean, I hear chatter that if they don't make the playoffs this year, that he could be out. I, I, I think that would be very unfair. I think he's done a tremendous job. Uh, winning seven games apiece with what he had to work with the first two years. So maybe they only win eight or nine this year, or maybe they win eight. Who knows what they win? But to, 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 to do away with them after three years, and I hear this talk, would be wrong because I think the team has made some progressions. They were in salary cap hell. Now they're out of it. You got to give them a couple of years. I agree. And I think that, you know, you, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this, this idea of three years and out. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and just how quick everybody is to, to judge stuff. And I, I am really curious to see how to, because yeah, Falcons fans have been in a very particularly unique, like head coaching turnover run here, right? Even dating back to, to Jim Mora, right? Like you, you go from, man, they're in the NFC championship game in 2004 to three years later, Michael Vick's 
gone. Bobby Petrino's here, and then he's gone, and then it's like, where is this? And then you get Mike Smith and that immediate success, but that's also coinciding with Matt Ryan and Thomas Mitchoff, and it's like, how much is that on the head coach? But they do go on that extended long run. Then Dan Quinn's in here after that first year. It's like, what do we make of this? They go to the Super Bowl. They're back in the playoffs the next year. It looks like, okay, they are going to sustain this success. And then all of a sudden, they just, on some trip down to New Orleans, went into the wrong voodoo witch house and got <laughs> completely cursed. And so, like, how is all of that going to affect the psyche of this fan base? Are they able to sit there and say, okay, yeah, it's seven and, and nine or seven and ten for back-to-back -back seasons, but at least it's not like, hey, we were up 31 to 13 with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then we lost that game, right? Are they able to look at it kind of qualitatively instead of just looking at the overall record? Because if you do look at the play-by-play, -play, at the quarter-to-quarter, -quarter, and the game-to-game -game adjustments that this team makes – it's different. It's different than what it's been, and it's different than what it's been under kind of all of those coaches that I mentioned previously. I mean, I respect the hell out of a. Uh, uh, sorry if I'm, you know, no, go ahead. But, no. uh, I, I I respect the hell out of of what Mike Smith and Dan Quinn and and all of those guys were able to do. But just the the week to week adjustments and the different types of game plans that this team has come out with, whether or not I thought going into the matchup, they were favored or very massive underdogs. They found ways to stay in the mix. I mean, you look at Buffalo, Kansas city, like these, these teams late in the season up in the North, like cold weather day. And they're kind of making them one score games with chances to win late. They're, they're not bowing out of any of these games. There's not really many of these head scratching just in-game circumstances where the tide was so in one direction and then like an NCAA football game of old, the momentum swung all the way in the other direction and now the screen's shaking and all the receiver lines are blurry. Like there's not been any of that. And so for that reason, I'm much more willing to stick with a coach that's of Mike Tomlin quality where it's just the consistency is there. The team is there. Whether the players on paper are a plus guys or b minus guys you know that the, the quality on the field is going to be a, of a certain caliber you could go back even far back as dan reeves you know yeah. i still believe to this day the reason he lost his job and what led to that bad season when he was fired is when mike vick went down and mike vick doesn't go back down yeah. he takes the falcons to the 2000 he takes them to the nfc championship game again instead of jim morrow so, yeah. I mean, you know, there's no patience. It's three and out. It stands for not for long. And it, it is kind of sad. Oh, we're out of time. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to have you back on before the start of the season. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to see the, there's a lot of unpredictability in the NFL. And this team, they're not predicted to make the playoffs. But who knows what can happen in the NFL? Anything can happen. 100%. I, I would not bet against them making the playoffs. Uh, not a single chance. They can 100% make a run this year. Well, Will, thanks for coming on again. We'll have you on before the start of the regular season, I promise. Thank you so much, guys. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun for us, too. That's Will McFadden of the Falco-holic, and his guy is Shane Falco and the movie The Replacements, and maybe 
maybe Arthur Smith is Gene Hackman and he gets the Falcos to the playoffs this year. We'll find out. Thanks, Will. Really appreciate it as always. Of course. All right, gentlemen, let's switch, go from football. Well, let's stay with football and um, we'll just have a real quick conversation. Uh, Larry, you're there. Um, let's all, let's all real quick for the fun of it in less than, you know, a minute each person or, or two, uh, how, what is the ceiling for this club and do they reach that ceiling? Uh, Larry, go first. Oh, that's an easy one. And it won't take me two minutes to do this. The ceiling for this team is NFC champs. Simple and easy. That is the, the ceiling for this team. They are, I believe, with the adjustments and, and the additions that have been made, they are easily, easily NFC South Division champions. That's the ceiling. The the floor, uh, the floor is probably nine. I'd say eight to nine wins is probably the floor. And the only reason I say that is, is the one unpredictability about football is you don't know who's going to be healthy and who's not. If this team remains healthy with the offensive pieces that have been added, with the stability of the offensive line that has been submitted, and with the additions of free agent acquisitions on the defensive side of the football, with the weakness of the NFC South, with the exception of the Saints, and they're not as weak, but their coach seems to think that they're weak enough to be able to bring in John Gruden to help install some things for them to be able to run offensively. So they may not be as strong as what we think they are. However, ceiling, I'd say 11, 12 wins, floor, eight, nine wins. Wayne, you're next. I'm going to say you, AJ, after that. Well, you know, I'm always going to pick them to be 17 and 0 at the beginning of the season because that's what I expect every season. Um, as far as the floor, I'm not sure. You know, you never can tell what's going to happen with those uh, Carolina Buccaneers or the uh, Tampa Bay Saints or whoever the heck they are. Uh, you know, I, I believe they're going to win the division, though, I'm pretty certain. JJ, you're next. Look, the schedule statistically is the easiest one in the NFL. Uh, I, I like the quarterback room with Heineke backing up. Ritter, and we don't know how short that leash will be, but uh, the Falcons, Panthers, Falcons, Packers at home to open the season. Then you travel to Detroit. Three pretty manageable games. Obviously, Detroit, not a playoff team, very close last year. They expect to take a jump into the postseason. But again, you look at the three of the first four games against non-playoff teams, and then the fifth, the, the fifth uh, game of the season is against the Texans. You could be four and one coming out the gate there, three and two. Uh, it's a, it's a whole different ball game if you're the opposite end of that. Maybe you're talking about Tyler Heineke, the Collins Hill guy coming in. So I'll go answer the question. The ceiling to me is division champions with the playoff win. Uh, maybe a maybe an appearance in the NFC title. And if all goes well, the ceiling the ceiling technically would be, I guess, Super Bowl champions if if everything lined up. But that's not going to be my answer. The ceiling again to me, and I think they will achieve it in the worst division in football is division champions. I think it's very very attainable. The floor to me, look, if all heck breaks loose and things hit the fan early, look, the Falcons have have had disastrous first half of the seasons in recent memory. Remember this, folks. And then the second half of the seasons, they've gone seven and one before when they were one and eight. I, I, it, 
it's our our, our uh, six and one or whatever it was when they finished eight and eight with Dan Quinn. It, it, it to me, ceilings division championship with the playoff win or two, four. Man, if all hell breaks loose, you could see four or five wins and Smith hightails it out of here. There, there's my answer. Ceiling. Smith's hightailing high, high out of here. I think they're going to give him a couple of years no matter what. Uh, the ceiling to me is to win the division. Uh, I'm not sure about even winning a playoff game. Uh, you know, I think this team's going to finish second behind New Orleans. All the so-called experts have, have the Falcons not making the playoffs. I don't see one publication one magazine having them in now hey to me again the elephant in the room it was for the beginning of the conversation is desmond ritter if he plays well and he's not and i hate this word in football game manager if he plays well and can lead the team down the field they've got a chance because they can run the ball they have a good offensive line they'll have to keep that defense off the field i'm not sure if they can still get to the quarterback Remember a year they've lost their leading tackler for the last two years in a row in Rashawn Evans. And, you know, they lost him last year and they lost the tackler before. So, I mean, that's that's where I'm at. Let's move on. Let's go to our last topic, the Atlanta Braves, uh, 47 and 26 going in tonight, won seven in a row, eight and two in the last 10. Uh, to me, I'm going to ask you guys your thoughts on this. I think to me the one player that, that, that could derail the Atlanta the Atlanta Braves season is the loss of an injury to Ronald Acuna. He is the Falcons' Ricky Henderson. This guy leads about in every category you can be in the top ten in baseball. Second in what uh, um, uh, uh, doubles? Uh, he's right there, second average in baseball. There's only 12 players in Major League Baseball that have enough plate appearances that qualify that are hitting 300. He's second behind Florida's second baseman, who's hitting 400, by the way. Um, you know, so this is the one guy they can at least afford to lose. And if they lose him, it's really going to test the depth of the lineup. Um, that's my guy that can at least afford to lose. JJ, what's yours then, Larry, then Wayne? I mean, it's obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. That's the only answer there. He's an MVP-style player. But let's also look at the hindsight of that. They won a championship without Ronald Acuna on the roster. They have Kevin Pillar and Sam Hilliard, Eddie Rosario, Marcelo Zuna, who's won a gold glove, who they can platoon in outfield. So... Uh, I'm not going to say they can't win without Ronald Acuna because they've proven they can. But I, I agree with you, Todd. If they lose Ronald Acuna right now, the way he's stealing bags, the way he's putting the ball in play, uh, 30, uh, a 40, 40, season, uh, uh, 40 home run, 40-plus 40 stolen base season, he's going to have to pick up the home run pace for that. But if you're a Braves fan, you don't want that to happen because right now he's putting the ball in play at an alarming rate going up the middle, go look at a spray chart, up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, power alley, power alley, double, double, double. Then he's last two, two, uh, two times in the last week, pitcher's taking his time, no one's covering third, no one's holding them on second. He's on third base without a throw, down to the home plate, no, nothing. He just takes the bag I, he might be the fastest man in baseball. This Ellie, Ellie De La Cruz guy might have something to say about it. But he looks really, really well-heeled. 
100% healthy, and I, I'm with you. You can't lose Ronald Acuna Jr., but I'm not going to say the Braves can't win if he does go down. But let's just knock on wood, Braves fans, and hope that doesn't happen. Uh, I think Larry's next. Yeah, I was going to say, Larry, um, um, J.J. mentioned it. He he said that, uh, you know, they did win it with Allen, but that's a different ball club, and there were plenty. They, they revamped the entire Fee, uh, uh, outfield that Alex Anthopoulos and also got him a reliever. That's a lot to ask for a GM two of the past three years, Larry. To me, they lose Acuna. They're losing a lot of production. Yeah, they might be losing a lot of production if Acuna, Acuna ever gets off the roster. But Double A has shown time and time again that when certain things come up, I'll put it to you this way. When things happen to various players on the roster that would cause Braves fans to hit the panic button and go on suicide watch, the steady man that guys the hand of the team in Alex Anthopoulos has shown us time and time again, whether it was with Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, and Jorge Soler, whether it's been the additions of uh, Sam Hilliard and, and, and Pillard this year, or even in, in seasons past, yeah, even with yeah, even with seasons past, when injuries have happened to our superstars, Anthopoulos has made not the splashy move, but the move that was consistent that would help bridge the gap to keep the team afloat. And I don't see any reason as to why if anything were to happen to this team now, because whether we realize it or not, if the, if Alex Anthopoulos does nothing, because everybody's looking for him to make. A, a trade deadline acquisition. Well, let, let me help you out if you're a Braves fan. Max Free, that's a pretty good trade line trade deadline acquisition that you don't have to give nothing up for. Great one. You got somebody else that's already throwing off a mound in Kyle Wright, who would also make a wonderful addition. So if the Braves have been able to do this with those two arms missing and they get both of them back, come in July, beginning of August, the Braves, the only team the Braves will have to worry about in their own division will be the Marlins because the Marlins are on fire too. I think they're well, I think they are good enough to be able to handle Philly. The team to beat right now, and, and TC and I kind of mentioned this last week, is the, the red-hot Cincinnati Reds, which I'm looking forward to that series at the end of this week between Cincinnati and Atlanta, two of the hottest teams in Major League Baseball, I think that is going to be a good measuring stick to see not only where Atlanta is, but to see where Cincinnati is. Is it a flash in the pan? We'll get to that. You're, you, you got ahead of me, but that's okay because that's coming up, and I'm glad you did it, Larry. Wayne, uh, Ron Lacuna, we mentioned he's one guy that can't afford to lose. Look, he's the team's Ricky Henderson. He leads off. You know, a lot of folks didn't like leading him off, but, man, he really is natural there. J.J.'s mentioned it. He puts the ball and play a ton. If you lose him, this really changes the offense a, a, a lot. Yeah, well, un unfortunately, uh, I'm not really paying too much attention to what could or could not happen to Atlanta because uh, my Rangers are up there at Comiskey Park right now trying to take one more from the White Sox, so. My focus is a little bit more on the American League than the National League at the moment. That's fair. That's fair. You're a Texas guy. All right. You know what, guys? What a bounce-back performance from Spencer Strider, who lost to the Phillies last year in the playoffs. Uh, we mentioned it last week. 
him changing the speeds, the location. Uh, you saw a much better Spencer Strider, uh, JJ. Uh, yes, you did. Oh, yeah, to piggyback off your point, uh, in his start Tuesday night against the Phillies, held them the one for nine with runners in scoring position, struck out nine, zero walks. I'm looking right through it, folks. That's the biggest key in Spencer Strider's return. You mentioned the location, the change of speeds. Tom Glavin says when you're not locating one day, you got to change your speeds on every pitch. That will help with your location by the end of the game. Hopefully, you get right, and he did that. Look, uh, another, another, uh, he threw 22 pitches over 98 miles an hour in his start Tuesday night. Why is that significant? Because in his last start, he didn't hit 98, 98 miles an hour a single time. Um, probably be a good reason why he had 13 earned runs over the last nine innings going to Tuesday's start. So he turned it around. That's huge for Atlanta. They got the young guy, uh, weather delay right now in Philadelphia, but they got the young guy, A.J. smith Shaver going tonight. And he's been so far so good. It's been, it's been uh, and I wanted to piggyback on uh, Max Freed, uh, an update on that uh, from what Larry was saying, folks. He is throwing short. Last week, he started throwing a short box bullpen session. Uh, this week, he started throwing full, long bullpen sessions. So that's great news for Max Freed. But back to Strider. The guy found his fastball again. The guy found the velocity. Kind of relaxed a little bit. It's the first really form of adversity he felt in his entire uh, two-plus-year two career, short short career. But it's the first bout of, bout of uh, adversity he faced. And Matt Olson was interviewed after the game. said, you know, at the end of the season, people aren't going to look for those two starts because he did win one of them. So, uh you know, folks, I, I think Strider's doing just great. He's still young. He's going to develop that changeup even more. Maybe he develops another pitch along the way and becomes more lethal. But, folks, I think Strider's a big part of this Atlanta Braves franchise moving forward because he did find that fastball. He did hit 100 miles an hour last night, and he looked good doing it. Larry, speaking on fire, Michael Harris. Uh, in the last seven days, seven at bats, 13 hits, two homers, eight RBIs. Eddie Rosario, 18 at bats, 10 hits, five homers, 11 RBIs. A lot of clubs in Major League Baseball don't have the near the bottom of the order like these guys. And you knew Harris was going to catch on. He was putting the ball in play a lot. He just wasn't falling for him. This, this team is very deep, 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 as Eddie Murphy would say. Uh, deep, deep, deep in the movie, uh, Beverly Hills. Deep undercover. Right. No, <laughs> I'm going deep, deep undercover here, right, in the movie Beverly Hills Cop. They're deep at the bottom of the order, Larry, and I'll tell you what, this is uh, this is the best lineup in the National League. And it's not even close. One through nine, they are the most feared lineup in baseball. And we all knew that not only Michael Harris, but Spencer Strider was going to go through those sophomore slumps. But one name that we have yet to mention that will be returning for them soon is Sean Murphy. And the ability to be able to utilize both him and Travis Darno and to be able to say, hey, I can I can rest guys and not have to worry about a a a depletion or a limitation within the power 
or the run production in this lineup? Because we all know Eddie Rosario is streaky. You better enjoy it while it lasts because he's probably going to go into a slump here pretty soon. But while he is hitting on all cylinders, take advantage. You know, I think another big key was moving Matt Olson down to the five spot and putting Ozzy Albies up in the second hole. Huge because then it gives you the, the righty-lefty, righty-lefty kind of off balance. So when you decide to go into your bullpen, you may use more arms in that. But the, the seven, eight, and nine hitters with Arcia, depending on who's playing, if it's Azuna, if it's uh, Hillier, Pilar, and Money Mike, the way that that's set up, it's almost like you got two leadoff hitters as long as Money Mike is hitting well because you got his speed, and then you turn around and got Ronnie batting right behind him. And that's a deadly combination. I mean, I don't know of any two hitters back-to-back in a, in, in a spot of a lineup that can cause you that much headache when I call it, when it, when it comes to speed on the base pass. So my concern for the lineup one through nine, I, I, I really don't have much. My concern is still the pitching staff. If If Max comes back, and you get to playoff times and your first starters, if you go in a five-game series and your first three starters are Elder, Strider, and Freed, I'm confident. And then you can turn around and go in a seven-game series with Strider, Freed, Wright, Elder, and Morton can be a fifth starter, and Schauber can be a sixth starter. that's what I want to see, that depth, because I think if we can get that level, then this team can go very, very far when it comes to the postseason, TC. Well, let's let's, let's slow down. We're a long way from the postseason. Let's talk current, and let's talk the series coming up in Cincinnati. You got to say something, J.J., what is it? Yeah, yeah, I I want to talk. I want to just kind of get some stats to this money, Mike, and how quickly he has just raised his average. Folks, this is just this is some quick stats. Look this up. This is nuts. He raised his batting average fifty plus points in just a week. Started the Detroit series batting one ninety, one ninety. Entered the Philly series batting two forty nine. The National League Player of the Week during that span, Harris hit five fifty six, five fifty six, fifteen for twenty seven. Two doubles, three home runs, nine ribbies. This guy is just raking at the plate. And I just wanted to piggyback on y'all's points. Larry, great, great analysis. It's Money Mike, and he's back, and he's more than on fire. He's probably the hottest hitter in baseball right now. Todd, I had to get it in there. Thanks for letting me get it's it. It's fine. It's fine. Let's, let's go to the uh, series coming up. Everybody's looking forward to it. There is a rain delay right now. The Braves have won seven in a row. But America's team, with the fastest man in the world, Ellie De La Cruz, for Cincinnati, they've won 12 of 14 since he's been on the scene. It's just not him. Uh, The Reds have won 11 in a row. They haven't done this since 1957, which really astonished me because she had the 75-76 Big red machine that were World Series champs. 1990s team under Sweet Lou Pinal. They won it all. Um, so, you know, that was a really good team with Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, uh, Chris Morris, uh, uh, excuse me, um, Hal Morrison, etc. 
So the Cincinnati team won 11 rows since 57, and they got a historical save from a local player here, a, a Conyers native and Georgia Tech baseball alumnus, Buck Farmer. That was his second season, uh, second save of the season. He's a setup guy, and it's the Reds' major league leading 26th comeback of the year, their third straight sweep. They are the hottest team in baseball. They're in first place, 40 and 35, and they got a three-game measuring stick. And I think it's Cincinnati's measuring stick way more than it is Atlanta's. Because the Reds can take two or three from these guys. Holy smokes. So, you know, to me, this series is going to be real exciting. Something's got to give. Uh, Larry, give me your thoughts real quick. We only got a couple minutes left in the show. No, you're good, man. Everything's well. So, we, we know we've seen De La Cruz do what he's done. We've seen them be the cardiac Cincinnati Reds. They continue to win, come from behind style. That's all well and good till you got a lineup like Atlanta's to have to deal with. And I'm not gonna say that Atlanta's gonna go in here and 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 pop that little red balloon in the great American ballpark and and bring the 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 excitement and the pandemonium that is the new and invented Cincinnati big red machine. But to be the man, you've got to beat the man. And the man is going to show up in Cincinnati this weekend. Now, to Cincinnati's favor, they're going to get Atlanta's bottom feeders of the starting rotation, and they're probably going to get Bryce Elder on, on, on the second or third game. Can that lineup that is speed heavy continue to play manufactured run baseball and, and what I call single and double and steal bases Atlanta to death. I don't think so, but who knows, because anything can happen when you get in between the lines. But my expert analysis, and I'm not an expert, my expert opinion is it's about as valuable as a Dollar Tree candy bar. It <laughs> is, I believe Atlanta's going to go in. I believe they're going to handle business. I believe they're going to take two or three, but I don't believe it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a lot like what the Mets series was, where the Mets would get out in front, get a lot of hope, and then Atlanta would come behind with the power. That power is what kills people, man. You, you got to slug to beat Atlanta. You've yeah. got to slug. And that's and that's and and that's a beautiful thing to have. Atlanta's only got about three or four people that hits with average, but you got six people in the lineup that can hit for thirty home runs. That's tough to deal with night in and night out. So. As much as I would love to see the, the – it's a heartwarming story if you're a sports fan. It's good to see because Cincinnati been sorry for so long. <laughs> but they're going to come to reality this weekend, and, and, and that's okay too. Uh, Wayne, you got a comment? Yeah, I, well, uh, this is kind of, you know, Texas versus Atlanta. Uh, you know, we got the All-Star game coming up, and uh, it's looking like it's going to be a Texas versus Atlanta all-star game, a number of people, ballots and things that are looking positive. So that's going to be a pretty cool uh, all-star game. Yeah. Oh, you guys are all homers. I mean, good God. Spell it out. H-O-M-E-R-S. J.J., go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just complimenting. It, it, it's, un it's unbelievable the, uh, the amount of braids on the all-star ballot. Lighten it up. We had John Fricky on uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said the Braves were going to have five All Stars. He might be right. There might be. There could be more. It, 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 it's uh, a deep lineup, top to bottom, and and 
Yeah, I'm excited about the Reds. Uh, that was my final thought of the night. So I'll go ahead and say it. A historic streak, 11 in a row, first since 57 for Cincinnati, as as TC mentioned. And it's going to be the most exciting series in baseball coming up. You have two of arguably the, the best, fastest guys. Um, Daly Cruz is starting to steal the bases as well once he gets on there. So it's going to be really exciting. But but to piggyback on, on Larry's point, you're going to have to slug to beat Atlanta. You're going to have to score runs to beat Atlanta. And it's going to take a really hot pitcher to shut this lineup down because, look, the Braves just just a week ago made quick work of Verlander and Scherzer in back-to-back games. They took Verlander out in two and a third, uh, maybe three and a third. It was something around there. So, Look, it's really tough to beat this Braves lineup when they're going good from top to bottom. And when they get Sean Murphy back, it's just another option to, for, for, for Brian Snicker. Well, right this now, is such a contrast in styles, if I, if I may say. I mean, speed doesn't go in a slump. Cincinnati's true. ballpark is a bandbox. Atlanta does have their power hitters. The Reds will not have their top pitchers in this weekend. So we all expect a lot of runs scored. Watch. They get each lineup get shut down. One nothing, two you one. You never know in baseball. You just never, never know. Right. But you know, speed doesn't go in a slump. Cincinnati can put the ball on the on the grass. They can bunt it. They can steal it. And the new rules in the game have allowed these smaller market teams to use their speed to neutralize the power. It's such an interesting contrast. Guys, that's the end of the show. Want to let you know tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, Jamie Walker will join me live on Twitter Spaces for some college football talk, the SIAC conference. I uh, can't wait to uh, discuss that. You guys are all welcome to join me at 1 Eastern if you can. I'll put you on. We'll talk about some HBCU football and, more importantly, the SIAC. The games will be on ESPN Plus nationally this fall. I'll have some games. JJ will be with me. And, of course, Jamie Walker will have plenty himself. And I can't wait for that. Guys, thanks a lot. Thanks to Will McFadden of the Falco-holic, a big Shane Falco fan of the replacements, for joining us today. For myself, for JJ, for Larry, and for Wayne, you guys have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night, everybody. Get you one.